the data analytics company, they're on calls all the time. I never asked them what kind of uses, but everyone sounds like a professional DJ. When you call them, they'll, <laughs> hey there. There's no noise. All you can hear is their voice. Why doesn't Mike get us? Problem. Why can't Mike get us four microphones and, you know, curry them <laughs> overnight? Producer Mike, yeah. Yeah, what the hell's going on? <laughs> Sexy radio voice. Turn tables in a microphone. Ah. We make a few references in the first part of this pod to an extra that I did with Paige. If you haven't listened to it yet, you certainly don't have to to make sense of this pod, but you might want to go back and check it out. It's December 2020. This is episode 39, 2020 review. Here's the disclaimer. There are some curse words. They're not beeped. It's too much work. And at times, we may be mildly offensive. It's not aimed at you. It's just who we are. This is the Snow Day Podcast with Dr. George Alvarez. I might start doing coke off hookers' asses in the summertime. CEO Leslie Hansen. Say what you want about Snow Day Pod. We got a little girl, a puppy. Me, Bruce Krentz, the one they left behind. I knew Marnie was coming downstairs and I knocked off a pretty good flexed arm hang as she was coming around the corner <laughs> and I got just zero reaction. I put in the work. (laughs) (laughs) And leadership expert, Stephen DeGroote. George, I thought he was in some study when he was uh, doing the blood, hair, urine, and sperm sample. I thought he was just donating his gaunch. That's an old joke. (laughs) I was laughing so hard. I couldn't even piece it together. So we're just going to go back through our catalog from the from the past year and just look back and, and reflect on some things, add anything that's changed for us over the course of the year or some things that we couldn't get off our chest the first time we went through it. We will start with the most recent one. Social media was, was a good one. Strangely, though, producer Mike didn't like it. He was not a fan. What I'll do to guide us through reflecting back on that pod is flashback to a little piece that Paige wrote. The big one she talked about and validated what George had said that he worried about with Zara, his daughter, was fear of missing out, just seeing what's going on in the world at all times. I think that I didn't realize how big and powerful a force that was to always know what party's going on and always know who's talking to who and what's going on where. And I don't think I appreciated that little part of it quite as much as is real for that crowd and probably people younger than Paige. A couple of things. I think it's fantastic that you had an hour conversation with Paige about this topic. That alone is impressive because it's hard to find an hour in your life to speak to anyone. And I think the things that Paige said were quite articulate. And I'll only touch on one of them. And you mentioned it already. The FOMO, the fear of missing out. The very fact that fear is in that acronym in and itself is weird. <laughs> I think it's weird that the, somebody would have a fear. <laughs> you think about the definition of a fear. So that struck me because I actually read the page, the highlights of your conversation a couple of times. You know, I'm glad that she weighed in on that and that she, you know, is taking it as seriously as I am. And I will go on record right now to say this by far is my favorite pod we've done in the last couple of years by a long shot. And I'll go a step further. I took Les's advice and I listened today, not only to the pod again, for the third time, I listened to Tristan Harris's 
undivided attention pod, the one specifically about the kids. And it is crazy how many things he said that echoed my fear and my gut instinct. In fact, I'm going skiing with my daughter and her best friend tomorrow. I'm skipping school with them because it's going to be a great <laughs> ski day. I'm going to make them listen to that pod. It's so good. I want their opinion. Now, specifically to talk about that pod, there was just a few things I wanted to say to each one of you since I have the forum. To start with Steve, I think he really hit it on the head when he was talking about kids are getting educated in the incorrect way. That's via social media and his concern with addiction. It certainly made me think back about our marijuana pod and all the concerns I had about, you know, a young plastic brain and the damage it can do when you smoke pot at a young age. It really just solidified to me, this is what I think about social media. The kids' brains are so plastic that you can just nail in anything. It's not They don't have hard skulls like we do. They've got Play-Doh for skulls and you can just hammer stuff in there and you can break it and you can mold it, which is what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to mold it. Les said lots of interesting things and, and most of the time, I agree with what Les says. I just hated all of his points. And he said something which I think really struck to me. The acceleration of bullshit is now trumping a basic facts. He said, that's what I'm actually concerned about. And so that part of it, I really agreed uh, with him. And he also said something about righteous indignation. How can we be so naive that, of course, software is created this way to addict you to keep your eyes in front of a square screen. And I guess my counter to that, because we were talking about, you know, video games and TV and newspaper and bike, like we we're saying, like, isn't this just an evolution? The problem with that is when we played video games, the arcade closed, you needed a quarter, then you left, you had to be home for supper. A newspaper came out only once a day. If you were watching Seinfeld, you had to wait a week. There was already sort of things in place that controlled you, you watch TV with your family. So even though your dad might have complained that you're watching too much TV, well, there's only one TV in the house. He controlled it and you watched it together. Whereas social media, everybody is scattered. So that's one of the counterpoints I wanted to say to Bruce and with Les. So I love the pod. I've li I think it's our best pod by a long shot. I'm sad that Mike doesn't like it, but he should be super concerned because he's got kids younger than me. Yeah, it's interesting. Paige talked a lot about Caitlin, his daughter, yesterday in our conversation, just as a, like, not a generation behind her, but she started off saying, you sounded like an old man. We all sounded like old men worrying about some of the fake news and and about where you're getting your sources. She said, at school, we've been doing classes on this since as long as I can remember, since I was in grade three. Caitlin said the same thing. We get that. They give everything the sniff test. We're worrying too much about that. She was pretty clear on that. The flip side of that, she did say getting bombarded by those images, especially for young girls, you got to be skinnier and better looking and you've got to be wearing the right sneakers and all of those kind of things. You used to get a magazine once a week or once a month with some pictures of pretty people in it. And now you get them every five seconds all your life. Thursday nights at Safeway Men's Fitness, I felt bad about myself. <laughs> and yet you still went and stood in line every Thursday night to inflict the abuse on yourself. <laughs> yeah, I still flip through Men's Fitness. I didn't even need groceries. Just a last comment. Good for Paige for mentioning that, being a young lady, that, that Tristan Harris's whole topic about are the kids are all right, his podcast, they spend a large segment talking about 
mental illness and addictions and how it's worse in young girls than it is in young boys. And they talk about body image a lot. It's quite a good pod. I was very impressed. I'm really glad that Les brought it. And it speaks to that very point. So I'm glad that she is uh, aware of that. Kudos a little bit to our society because as much as we're creaming them with that, the courses that they take in, not shouldn't say courses, but some of the things that they'll get in school and get in different parts of their life really focus on that because we've started to recognize it. Paige and Caitlin even said when Paige was first getting the, the cyberbullying lectures and the don't believe everything you see on the internet, it was kind of that. And now there's lots about sending nudes. So it's morphed a little bit. Um, and for sure, the body image conversation comes in there and you can say that all you want, but it's hard for them. And she said it's hard and you got to think about it and you got to be confident, which which can be tough. I can't send nudes to Les anymore? Steve, I've already blocked you. I, yeah. <laughs> I've already directed you straight into all my spam filters. <laughs> <laughs> I can't cyber bully George. <laughs> take a little dick pic right now. Just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 dick pic, dick pic, there's a dick pic. Jesus, that is a trout. That is definitely not going to be the cover art. I got to yeah. take this chance to give you just the littlest shot less. I laughed because I, I liked how you said that you don't really use social media. You have a fake Twitter account. And then later on in the pod, we talked about yeah. all that you use that fake Twitter account for is just scrolling what could be fake news, <laughs> which is the scourge of social media. <laughs> I know you're not, you're not posting and you're not participating, but part of what we talked about in social media was just the disinformation yeah. that's out there and you're getting bombarded by it. So I thought that was kind of funny. First of all, I would say the way that I use Twitter isn't really a social media experience because I don't post, I don't like, I don't comment, I don't do anything. I just read. So I'm literally using it like a, like a news feed. From my mindset, the most important thing that has to come out of this as a society is for those of us, well, for everyone, because there's no other way to get news now, and the impact that that has had on news, like even if you're not using Twitter or Facebook news to get your news headlines and then clicking through to the articles. The New York Times, The Economist, they're all publishing articles with the expectation of that's how you're going to find them. So it's completely reshaped the entire journalism industry in the last five years as well. We as a society of thinkers have to be able to figure out in our minds do I believe what I'm reading? Is this a credible source? I need to think for myself when I read something. The fact that Paige said, yeah, I don't really worry about that because I grew up with this. And as you get even younger, they're like, look, I'm used to everything that comes at me on the internet. I expect it's bullshit as opposed to I expect that it's true. You know why, why senior citizens get scammed by people pretending they're gonna fix their computer or pretending they're calling from the CRA, but we don't and our kids will never. Their bullshit radar is bred into them from a younger age. So, you know, I'm not going to say I'm punching back at George on his concerns about the plasticity of the mind of, of young people, but I think that is the counterbalance to that. And she did have the, the good funny line about that saying, when's the last time you heard of a kid that got scammed by email? <laughs> that yeah. Don't spam. Like yeah, it, exactly. It doesn't happen. happen. Like it doesn't not, happen. Not yeah. even us and, and younger. I thought it was a good one as well. I don't know if it was my favorite. Good for Paige. I think uh, Mike should be fired and Paige should be hired. <laughs> Just let's make a record of that. If he's the only one on earth that didn't like it, then we've got a problem. But one of the things I was, you know, I really wanted to get at is this idea of connection and relationships. George made some points about, you know, we hung out, we hung out. Communicating is not connecting and connecting is not connection. There's enough research that says we need human contact, genuine, loving, caring relationships that are consistent 
over our lifetime to be able to actually release the architecture that is our brain. I think social media disrupts that human kind of contact and puts in a lot of impediments to relating to each other. And I think we're going to see later on the combination of young children with underdeveloped brains. I don't mean under because there's a deficit because they're not developed yet. Having too much screen time, being exposed to things that they cannot even handle yet. And the addition of the lack of human relationships is going to have a detrimental impact on mental health. I hit up Paige with that question yesterday. George, you said right. we've, we've been friends for 40, 45 years and, and you just can't replace the hours that we spent together. I said, do you think that people your age have as genuine a connection over social media? So you've just spent this much time on Snapchat with each other or your Facebook friends, you know, you kind of got to know each other. And, and she said, no, she didn't think that you could have quite as genuine a connection, but did follow up saying, that social media in a lot of ways has enhanced that connection. So if you have met somebody and you know them in real life, then when you start spending time with them this way, you can enhance that relationship and it can be bigger and stronger, especially she mentioned her and Caitlin who are 750 kilometers apart being as close right now as they've ever been because they touch base a couple times a day and they're, they're finding ways to stay connected. So that to me was an interesting angle that it, it's not a one or the other that we blame a lot of social media for for ruining our kids and ruining our relationships where this is a powerful technology and a tool in our toolbox. You look at some curves and the increase of social media and exposure that way and the amount of anxiety and mental health issues in kids that age, they're trending in the exact same direction. I don't think it's a coincidence. Let's bounce back. The first one we did before COVID even hit was university and higher education. And that, I mean, has taken an absolute unbelievable spin as far as we can tell. I feel like universities are going to go the way that prime real estate in big cities where we're realizing that we don't need these great big giant campuses. I, and we still need a place for people to gather. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind, but it's going to be hard for universities to keep pitching the giant infrastructure. I, I could be wrong, but I see that being a, a big change in higher learning, especially universities. You brought the article. Thoughts on that? It was a snippet of a book that was published a couple of months back called The Tyranny of Merit, an education researcher who did a bunch of research into what actually goes on in the educational system at higher education in the U.S. And they did this study, I think it was the top 1,800 colleges and universities in the U.S. And when we recorded that pod, I think I made the comment that, you know, it used to mean if you had a degree from Harvard, it used to mean that you were really smart. And now it just means that your parents were really wealthy. And this book that just came out shows that it's actually way, way worse than I thought it was when I made that comment. Oh, no. That sounded pretty <laughs> dire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, hey. You undershot that one? <laughs> the statistics that they followed was the likelihood, even after years and years of student loans and trying to improve the access for lower socioeconomic strata into upper education, that really nothing has changed. And two things that came out of that were, were really quite resounding. Number one, the fact that it proves fairly definitively that the SAT test is absolutely more impacted by the wealth of your family upbringing than by your grades in school. The richer you are, the better you're gonna do on the SAT. And this is what I thought was quite sad. The outcomes of kids getting into what's considered top tier universities, Ivy League and the top states and private schools in the US. They look at the percentage of kids that enter from the bottom quintile of 
income, their families, right? So what's considered poor if you're in the bottom 20% of, of wealth in the US. Less than 2% of students in those colleges came from the bottom quintile. And the chances of going from the bottom quintile to the top quintile as a result of obtaining that education was less than one in 50, which again, I guess again is 2%. But it was just really demoralizing to read top tier universities and colleges in the US do less to expand opportunity than to consolidate privilege, which basically means if your parents are wealthy, you're gonna get into a good school, you're gonna stay wealthy. If your parents are poor, you might get into a good school, very slim chance, but you're probably gonna stay poor. When we talk about the big problems in society, I think the biggest one that we face is income inequality. And how do we deal with that? Well, we grew up, our parents told us we dealt with it through education. Go to university, get a degree, get a good job, and you'll make something of yourselves. I think society has to be looking at, we still want to believe in that dream that you need to have upward mobility, but university education is not the key to doing it. I mean, I'm not saying that it's not a way to do it, right? I'm not dissuading anyone out there from getting an education and going to university, but selling it as the American dream, I think we need to start recognizing is over. Can you play that like hell's bell at the end of Les's bong? Fuck, did that sound depressing, eh? Bong. Thanks for a stellar kick in the nuts right before Christmas. Stevie, any thoughts on uni before we move on? I like that podcast. That was a good one. What I'm surprised about is Bray's in his fourth year of engineering. He's quite an introvert, although he's a very social guy. I thought he'd love the online learning. He hates it. He hates it. He wants to go back to school. It was the only point of interaction that they had, the classes, the gathering. I thought for sure he'd be like, oh, I love this education from home thing. And it's the opposite of what I expected. He's absolutely hating it. I think for a long time, a lot of these elite academic institutions have been well past their due date in terms of how they engage and how they operate. But I'm a bit surprised around uh, around that experience that he's having. So once again, I think there's got to be a balance. I think they're going to get rocked. I think school is going to change forever, just like a lot of other things after this. It's an interesting time yeah. to go back on the university because it just hasn't been a regular year. I'm curious to see how many kids don't yeah. go back. Murph's got a real job now and he's basically taken a year off and how many of his friends a went down to university and realized well online learning there sucks basically the same experience that that bray's talking about right so yeah, they're all moving yeah. home after christmas time and if it's not for you you're getting a job and are you going back there's going to be a kind of a funny almost like the double cohort year in ontario there's gonna <laughs> there's gonna be some some crazy times in the world over the next couple of years <laughs> catch up the COVID catch-up. A freaky, a freaky wave. Uh, Georgie, anything on uni? Well, you know what? I think Les could have made it a little bit more cheery if he did his imitation of Bernie Sanders with those stats. You know, the bottom 2%. <laughs> the generational wealth. We've heard lots of people say, you know, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. I think the American dream has long been dead. I read that article. They called it also a meritocracy all things are related to your merit. And it's actually having an interesting impact on in how I am speaking to some of my colleagues regarding this project that Steve knows about, how I'm trying to create a roadmap for the lifespan of an intensivist. And uh, we are talking a lot about merit and what the perception of merit is and how not everybody believes that 
everything is equal in our department, like what actually is worthy of merit and praise. And I think, Bruce, you were right. University or higher education, it might take a decade or two, but it may falter like the $1,000 a square foot Bay Street high-rise building to rent. It's just not going to have that same weight. I think people will start to figure it out. And maybe there'll be more plumbers and electricians in this world, which would be a good thing anyways. Like I think people are starting to figure out that the, uh, the higher learnings, and there's just more and more stories that are coming out. And it's sad for me because I think we had such a positive experience in university, not just education-wise, but socially-wise. I think Bruce and I briefly talked about this, how Murph's experience at University College or Pages is so different than what you and I had living there it's so different it's not even comparable that uh, university is going to be the same thing it's it's just not going to have the same impact in people's lives not just uh, learning but in growth in interaction and becoming who you are as, a, as an adult uh, I think those are all those things it's like a sieve now it just doesn't it just doesn't hold the water or the value it'll be an interesting shakeup and who knows maybe in three years nothing will have changed but it feels like right now it will just from our experience, Steve and I, and seeing kids in, in uni and just the real acceptance of online learning. And that's a whole nother conversation, even in high schools. What are, what are high schools going to look like in three or four years, just like offices? Yeah. The next one we talked about was heroes. I don't have too much more to say on heroes. The only thing, thankfully for us, is we're not out banging our pots and pans for ICU docs anymore because I was getting tired of that, George. <laughs> Your head was getting too big. <laughs> Hello, he's busier now than he was when we, in the first oh, I know. wave. Like, ten, yeah. 10 times busier. I think that's notable, Bruce. In the first wave, everybody was out every day cheering and stuff. Now it's way worse. <laughs> the healthcare workers are like, you know, in some places are getting absolutely crushed. And there's like no pots and pans. <laughs> being Nobody's dragged. dropping like, off cookies anymore. <laughs> nobody's dropping off cookies. You know, which I think is sad. One thing that I continue to have an issue with is when people idolize or you know raise people that are doing what they normally do and we should just honor them all the time, like before, during, and after, not just wait until uh, we need them like we do. Just how how we've forgotten how amazing humans are. Like, you know, when I hear, oh, they're superhuman, they're superhuman. To me, it's like saying human, human. Humans are fucking amazing. And we celebrate these things that we're so capable of doing, but because we've become so complacent, you know, and I'm getting tired of hearing superhuman, to be honest, because every time I hear it, people unintentionally delegitimize how amazing we are. Oh my God, she's a superhuman. She had the cake and she's lactose intolerant. <laughs> really? That's what we're fucking celebrating? Seriously? We've, we've really lowered the bar. We did when we made George a hero. That's when we first started lowering the bar. Yeah, no, I <laughs> think he's a hero. I think you guys all are. I think we all are. That's it. We should celebrate each other all the freaking time for every single thing that we contribute. That's why I send you pictures of my dumps on a regular basis. I'm celebrating me and you all the time. And the listeners <laughs> think you're joking. It is a type of celebration. It is a type of celebration. In our own way. Tis the season, Febrezen season. <laughs> we did the whole COVID suite. Maybe we can touch on those all together. A week after the one pod where I said, I haven't even worn a mask yet, Northern Manitoba absolutely blew up. <laughs> A bunch of people call going, really, I just listened to this. <laughs> There's no end of cases in here in full PPE at all times. So <laughs> Your that, fault, Krenz. Yeah, it was my fault. That, that kind of cracked me up. Other than that, I'm still liking 
level two. We're level two. <laughs> yeah, number two, a nice number two, like Georgie <laughs> talked about, is as good as it gets. We're we're sort of at red right now, so we're a little more locked down than I'd like. I still haven't got tired of it. I mean, all of those were just a snapshot in time. Where you where you at right now? How do you feel? How I feel is not very different, but I think some of the things that we're seeing in society, whether it's heroes or anxiety. Uh, is fatigue. I think lots of people are fatigued with this, which is why people aren't driving around Peter Lougheed Hospital or clanging pots in Toronto because now we're, you know, almost a year into it and we're not thinking like that anymore. So I, I think it's an interesting example how fatigue can creep into anything, including a pandemic. And now it's actually going the other way. I don't seem to remember when we recorded our first COVID that there were religious groups going to provincial courts like they are in Alberta. And Manitoba. This is against my constitutional rights, uh, my assembly rights, my religious freedoms. I don't feel that happened when we recorded our first one, now that we've recorded four. There's a lot of reasons why that is happening, but one of them is certainly fatigue. You know, I think Trump has also ignited a lot of that. He has allowed people, to use Steve's words, to be ugly and to be vitriolic. A lot of the things that we talked about at the beginning are almost now irrelevant, and now they're swaying the other way. And Steve is completely correct. I am way busier, and we are way busier than the first wave ever was. And I felt people were rallying around a cause. I don't feel that anymore. I'm totally with you, Georgie, that we're tired. For Manitoba, we started too early and nobody could have ever known that, but we locked down for months when there was nothing here, when we really probably, looking back, didn't have to. Now we're at a point where we have to go back to that. And you're right, people, they're not, I don't even think they're that scared anymore. The anxiety is fading into just, fuck it, I can't take it anymore. And you just kind of kind of don't care and that's unfortunate and I mean who could know that hopefully we can pass that along for the next pandemic and and manage that a little bit better just knowing that that's how long the timescape is I'll just throw one last thing in quickly Bruce and I'll have to describe it but I thought this was hilarious today and I took a picture of it I was walking in my neighborhood and I passed a wall where there's graffiti on the wall and somebody had written in one color COVID is fake and somebody else had written beside it in another color, no, it's not, wear a mask, you idiot. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, there you go. That's it. That's the height of political discourse in 2020. Yeah, That's what it's yeah. boiled down to. Two warring caps. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yeah. Yes, yes, it, it is. is. No, no, it's, it's not. not. Yeah. Black, white, black, white, black, white. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Beside Oscar's place, the homeless shelter in the pod spray painted on the back of a garage was COVID tests are fake. Hmm. Yeah, that's helpful as well. <laughs> it's crazy though, if you think about it, that this isn't March 15th. This is December 15th almost. Nine months in mm-hmm. and there are people, for reasons I simply won't understand, truly truly believe that this is not this is fake that this is some hoax some intrusion into their personal life some overlord 
trying to control them. I don't know what the reasons are. That, that I think is an interesting podcast all by itself is the, the suspension of belief and facts, which a little bit ties into social media and many other things yeah. that we've talked about, including the COVID. I am struck that people are unwilling to believe what is patently clear. Like there is no, this isn't 200 years ago where you could argue that the earth was flat. This just isn't believable. Like you believe in the common cold, you believe in other diseases, you believe in cancer, you believe in diabetes, but somehow the introduction of this <laughs> seemingly <laughs> new disease is unbelievable for so many people. That to me is what resonates yeah. the most. I, I'll just tell people, it believes in you. Don't worry, COVID believes in you. That's like Darwinism. You may not believe in Darwinism, <laughs> yeah. but it sure believes in you, right? I mean, but at least I know in 2021, I am thinning the herd in everything. Facebook, LinkedIn, all social media. Like as soon as people drop things, like they think Trump's a good person. Like that's like, thank you very much. You know, oh, thank you. Or they, like, you know, oh, we shouldn't wear masks. I'm like, thank you very much. My life gets easier because I'm not no longer going to interact with you. I will no longer worry about you anymore at this point. You know, it's like you've just demonstrated that you're an idiot and uh, I'm not going to waste my time talking to you anymore. Right. Policy. You can talk about Trump's policy and what the economy is doing. And stuff, but if somebody says that he's a good person or that he has character or any of those kinds of things is when I'm like, I don't even you sound like the Charlie Brown teacher. And you're drifting away. George, I've been telling you this for years, man. I've been telling you this for years. There is a dedicated portion of the conservative political movement that has been instructing people for years to deny science. Started with climate change. I used to call you a climate denier. I used to call you a science denier every time we'd argue about climate change, just to tease you. But it's the same thing. They've been taught to deny science. And this is the natural evolution of that. It's the same thing. That's the same people. I feel it could be like the grandfather of the people that said, you know, nicotine is not addictive. <laughs> Seatbelts don't save lives. Uh, yeah. Drinking and driving is okay. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel it's like the same <laughs> types of people that are now having this discussion. It's impossible for me to believe why people don't want to believe. And that's it. What makes not believing easier for you? You probably saw this, George. The nurse, I think she was in one of the Dakotas, who came out saying, I literally have people dying in my ward. And as they're dying, they're refusing to believe that they're dying of COVID. And they're calling me a liar. And they're saying COVID isn't real. I can't be dying yes, of COVID. Yes, I did see that. Yeah. Like, literally, ask yourself, how far gone are you <laughs> when your doctor is saying you're dying of a disease and you're saying, no, that can't be true because that disease doesn't exist. You know? No, I have syphilis because like... <laughs> I slept with my neighbor's wife. <laughs> and it's been slowly killing me for 30 years. <laughs> 30, that's all. <laughs> Steve's doing the math. Okay, I got about 12 good years left. <laughs> I'll be inviting you guys to my bedside in the in the emergency ward uh, 12 years from now, telling you that I have 2032. You've been vaccinated twice. Steve, just admit it. This is that thing we talked about. Well, just wait till the fight starts over vaccinations. 
Oh, yeah. I can't wait. I'm so excited. There used to be a small subset of society that were anti-vaxxers. Well, that's now growing by leaps and folds, right? There's going to be enormous battles over vaccination. But one of the discussions with our medical officer of health was, what's the security that you have in place? This is a valuable commodity now. As much as you say there's going to be anti-vaxxers, there's a huge part of our population that wants to get this right now. And it's important to them. And even to the point of, I don't think, you don't believe it's coming to northern Manitoba, but is there a black market angle to this? Is somebody going to come and steal a bunch of vaccines? And it's, mm-hmm. it's not out of the question. It's something that we haven't had to think about. And when we started to talk about it, I thought that makes a great action movie <laughs> for sure. Stealing COVID back. I don't think, Bruce, it's going to happen on a micro level. Like, I don't think anyone's going to break into your, to a pharmacy in Thompson and steal, you know, 50 doses of the vaccine. Yeah. 12 vials. <laughs> yeah. But I think it was Interpol came out this week with a statement saying that they 100% expect that there will be a black market in vaccines on a enormous global scale, right? Where organized crime will try to take over. Yeah, there's billions of dollars to be I made. totally agree with you. Like, I'll, I'll be yeah. surprised. You're right. If, if I go to work one night to pick up my computer and there's some guy in a ski mask trying to bust into the fridge but yeah <laughs> maybe i should take a page out of pages book on the, the email because i've got the someone asked me if i wanted to get the early vaccine test and it was the uh, devangelo brothers <laughs> oh inc devangelo brothers inc <laughs> yeah next thing i know you and les are at the fountain at the city center mall trying to buy some covid vaccine <laughs> from Dwayne halverson <laughs> trying to buy some covid vaccine hey, yeah. <laughs> having uh, a discussion with a banker just yesterday. And he said, you know what, from an economics point of view, how you might stem the tide is you simply pay everybody a thousand or $1,500 to do the vaccine. Because if you think about the economic impact this disease has had on the global markets, on domestic, like it's just, it's just shattered everything. And the amount of red ink we have is, is crazy. And for generations to, to come, we're gonna have to pay this off. Why don't we just pay people? Because I bet you there's a lot of people who would get over their anti-vaxxing if you gave them, if you cut them a check. I bet economically it would make sense. That's not an absurd idea. I wouldn't be surprised if it gets floated in political circles in the U.S. for sure. It's not an absurd idea. I don't know if it'll ever get off the ground. Um, I mean, they pay people yeah, to give but... blood. What? Where? <laughs> HIV negative blood. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely makes sense yeah. at an economic level, George, because the faster you can get um, everybody back to work and working, the faster the economy goes back to Oh, uh, where was that, George? <laughs> that just puts a fine point and grabs media attention to upstream prevention, right? Like lots of what my work does is the, the, the higher up the chain you can get that. And that's kind of what this is, right? You could, I mean, it would be interesting if it worked for COVID and then you could do it for a whole bunch of other diseases and terrible things that were happening, right? We pay people to quit smoking. That would save us billions mm-hmm. upon billions of dollars. I'm trying to put two and two together. George, I thought he was in some, some uh, study when he was uh, doing the blood, hair, urine, and sperm sample. But I thought he was just donating his gaunch. That's an old joke. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I could. I was laughing so hard. Is that? Yeah, you didn't get that one out very clean. There, I couldn't Steve. put it together. I couldn't <laughs> even piece it together. It was just all wrong, but so right. Definitely delete this. We're not telling a Walter joke. For the one of us that <laughs> dabbled in comedy and you just botched that delivery. I did. I did. Yeah. But that was hilarious. <laughs> just, just take these. <laughs> We did one on anxiety. One of the things we talked about so much in that pod was uncertainty of the future. And I'd be curious to hear what all of you think of. There was a 
I can't remember exactly the paper that came out where one of the suggestions was that every community takes a one week break at a time. So for two or three weeks, you're sort of on an orange and then you try to break that cycle with a red where everybody just locks down and you just you keep doing that until we're through this. And I don't know exactly the numbers, but to me, if that could help with breaking the cycle and keeping the number of flattening the curve, to me, that would give people so much certainty to know that, yeah, I, I can lock down for a week or two. Whereas right now, Steve, you can attest to this, George, I think you're in the same boat as we're forever waiting for the next announcement of how long red is going to last. And, and even if I knew I only had two weeks in orange or three, I'm okay. And so yeah. I, I really like that idea. It's like probably almost a little bit too late to implement it on a really huge scale. That was what I was hoping would happen in my province, specifically to those points of reducing anxiety and letting people have a light at the end of the tunnel, meaning we're going to go hard for four weeks at orange or whatever. And then we're going to reassess four weeks from now, because I think what happened in March and April and May is you just put the pedal to the metal and it was hardcore, probably unnecessarily, like we just crushed it, which is good news, but that has now sprouted in the fall and winter where, well, look what we did in springtime and then people are fatigued and tired. So I actually do wish they would have done that. Kind of what they did in the UK where they said, we're going to go hard for four weeks and then we're going to reassess. Just give society and individuals a psychological out. If you're willing to do something to this point, this could be your reward. It's kind of like working out. Just give me one more rep. Every rep's a dollar. You know, give me what, you know, just, just a little bit more and then it's over. Yeah. Because the way at least my province is doing it is they're going backwards. They're doing half-assed measures. Things are getting worse and they continue to do half-assed measures and things get worse. There's no positive feedback loop there. Yeah. Half-ass is still an ass. <laughs> it's true. It's a good point, George. We know that viral spread is beatable. It's been done in several parts of the world. Like look yeah. at Australia today. As of today, Australia, which is basically the same as Canada on all levels. It's about the same population. It's a massive land mass with population scattered out. Politically, legally, it's very similar. Australia today has 47 active cases total in the country. 47 active cases because they locked down crazy hard, kept it down, suppress, 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 suppress get rid of it. And now as a result, it's life is fucking normal yeah. there. Crikey. It's absolutely beatable. Yeah, it is. The question is, how do you get people to comply? And Americans have proven they're the least compliant people on the planet. <laughs> Canada's been better, but not quite as good. You could do what China did. They uh, welded people in their houses. They literally sent out the army and forced people into their houses at gunpoint and said, yeah, we'll shoot you yep. if you come out. Forced compliance. You can stop people from circulating in society, but compliance is the biggest factor, right? Bruce, what you're describing, going through cycles of saying, okay, we're going to be relatively normal, but then everybody's got to agree, boom, two weeks, solid lockdown, like solid, solid lockdown. You get the community spread down to almost zero yep. over that time period, but the mm -hmm. trick is compliance and the fact that, okay, well, how much are we willing to do without? I still want shit delivered to my house. I still want my essential services provided. So. 20 or 25 or 30 percent of people still are out circulating we'd have to say we're all going to buy our groceries we're literally no one is coming yeah. or going nothing unless you're going to the hospital or back nobody's leaving the house 
And then if you did that for two weeks, boom. Are we as a society gonna do that? No fucking way. Not now we're not. Not when people are nine months in and thinking, eh, I don't even know anyone who's died of it. This is not that big a deal, right? Exclude George from this conversation. But the rest of us, the number of people we know who've died of COVID. Somebody you actually know, yeah, for sure. Someone you actually know? Yeah. I don't know anyone. And so it's much harder for me to believe that this is a big problem. It's not a big deal until it impacts me personally. Like, right, that's how kind of how we how we float around. I read an interesting statistic the other day that the U.S., because their rates are so high right now, they're just at the tipping point where 50% of Americans will know somebody who's died of COVID in the next couple of weeks. They'll hit that tipping point, which is way ahead of where we are now, I assume. I don't know. I mean, at some point, it becomes real. I don't know. I don't know what it takes to get people to comply. (laughs) Yeah. But I think that's I think that's it. It's 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 real fear, right? It's real impact on their lives. The moment it got real for me was I went from working at home in March. So when we locked down, yeah, you go work from home. And then one of my work trips took me to the PAW to help support our COVID team there and had to go do a wellness check on a person who was staying on the second floor of the Wiscana Hotel. And the whole second floor is an isolation site of COVID positive people. So I put my stuff on and went to see how this guy was doing because he hadn't answered his door all day and marched up into that place. Now, I wasn't super worried because we had the PPE and you feel like you're educated, but that got real really fast <laughs> as, you, as you go up the stairs to the yeah. to this isolation site. That's one of those moments yeah. when all of this, yeah, starts to feel like, holy cow, it's really a thing. So, so far, so good. No scratchy throat right Fair now. <laughs> We did online shopping, probably not one of our strongest episodes. It wasn't bad. One of the big things that came out of that was <laughs> producer Mike's dog. And he sent a little text. Basically, all of your predictions came true for producer Mike. To quickly go through what he sent in, it still is Caitlin's dog, 100%. I can attest to that. I see her with it. But her doing everything isn't quite true. Jenny's got a pretty big hand in in looking after the dog and, and liking the dog. His fears of dog shit and hair all over the place didn't come true. Brady even likes the dog. He was legitimately scared of dogs before they got Sawyer, and that's changed. He still does uh, absolutely fuck all in terms of actually looking after the dog other than sort of prating it around and showing it (laughs) off to, likely showing it off to girls when they happen to be strolling by. And last year, thing on the breed was dead right, that those dogs are super active, so have needed lots of walks. And in COVID, that's been a good thing for their family too. I know producer Mike stopped by here for his medicine a couple times uh, when he's out walking the dog. I set him up and send him on his merry way back out into the cold. <laughs> but overall, the dog experience for them has been, I, I would say, very little downside on the the dog experience. Now, when COVID ends, maybe that changes a bit if their lives get more active, but Sawyer's a good dog. Can we peg that as Snow Day Pod's greatest accomplishment in 2020, that we got Caitlin a dog? Oh, I think by him. I don't. I think we should pat ourselves on the back for that. Well, that was almost a year ago, right? Was that before 2020? I don't know. When did she get the dog? They got the dog after Christmas, but we sort of had done one before Christmas because that's what Steve and I joked saying, yeah, that we were going to send them a dog in the mail um, and that it should be named Snow Day. We were talking about it when we were at my my place as well. And we should just go ahead and send it. (laughs) (laughs) What's he going to (laughs) do? Hey, say what you want about Snow Day Pod. We got a little girl a puppy. What bigger success is there? No kidding. What have you done? How bad can we be? (laughs) Bruce, could you give us an update on Norplex Pool? I wish I could give you an update on Norplex Pool. I'm glad we flashed back to that. The committee is still <laughs> kind of moving. They had done a request for proposal and it got accepted 
by one of the big design build companies. They were supposed to come up and do some consulting and I don't remember them actually ever being here. Now, whether I just missed out on what was going on or whether they couldn't come because of restrictions, which I think was kind of more the case. To be honest, I've unplugged from it a little bit just because I'm frustrated, I guess, and a little bit mad, wanted it to move faster. The only thing going on right now is McCready Campground. They're organizing a little fundraiser awareness thing where everybody goes and decorates campsite, like you put up lights and everything, and then people pay to drive through and look at it. My frustration is if that's how we're building a $50 million pool by having people look at Christmas lights, we're sunk. Never mind the pool. You're pissing in the ocean if that's how fast you're raising money. (laughs) Uh, How about a bake sale? Have you thought of a bake sale? Only 19 million <laughs> <laughs> left to go. Les and I made a lot of money Christmas wrapping one year to get us to Quebec. Yeah, French club. Uh, we might have paid our whole way. So maybe you could have a booth, the French club, <laughs> and you can gift wrap some gift. In COVID, that's going to go over really well. Had to break into the city center mall because it's closed. <laughs> Les and I can't go try to get some black market vaccines if if the city center is closed, we got no chance. Honestly, I feel like if that's all they're doing to raise money, then I feel like the Snow Day Pod could probably raise more money than that. And maybe we could secure naming rights for the pool. Find out what it's going to take for for us to get it named the Snow Day Pod Pool. It depends on how much we raise. Snow Day Pod Pool is the full amount. We just get snow, snow. Snowpool pool is the uh, is the lower part. It's a a water park. As much as we laughed at it, the Christmas lights and the bake sales are an important awareness piece of fundraising. But we have to also be knocking down some doors in Ottawa for millions of dollars, and and we're not doing that. All we're doing is gift wrapping. So it's frustrating. If I'm wrong, I'll insert a disclaimer saying we lied about that. Okay, maybe we poked a little bit too much fun at the Christmas light thing. It wasn't 40 million, but they made over 40,000. That's a lot more than Les and George ever pulled in wrapping gifts at the city center. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right. Predictions or resolutions for 2021? I know that we're not big on doing resolutions. George, you can't use to be a better dad and a better guy at work. You got to think of something else or at least just predict what the world is going to look like. (laughs) I'm not going to predict doing any chin-ups because that just went poorly for me. Even though the other day uh, I was goofing around and I knew Marnie was coming downstairs and I knocked off a pretty good flexed arm hang as she was coming around the corner (laughs) and I got just zero reaction. I thought, man, I, I put in the work. <laughs> wow. Oh, no. What does she expect? You're not doing that again. It's like dishes, laundry. 20 years of marriage there, Prince. <laughs> That's what happens. Things become less impressive. Yeah, I don't know what you got to do to get a little shock value around you. You're fucking doing push-ups, slapping behind your back. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> My chest was so sore, I thought I was having a heart attack two days later, so... I am still committed to Les's thing on the the plastic. I counted in our bathroom a couple months ago. We had 100 plastic bottles in our bathroom. 
We're getting way better now. Everybody's on board. We talked about it. Paige is onto the bar shampoo, our first verified female bar shampoo user, I think. So yep. we talked about yeah. that a little bit in the summer. Congratulations, Paige. Welcome to the club. I was very happy to hear and that. Marnie's kind of into yeah. it. As we're clearing, cleaning some of that stuff out, we're trying not to replace them with any more plastic. So we're slowly moving in that direction. My prediction for 2021, I shouldn't even call it a prediction, but how am I going to blend my life between phase two, which I so love, and the rest of the world coming back? And part of that is just a, like a legitimate commitment to myself to remember some of the things I like about this and not fade into my old lifestyle and some of those activities that I thought were important to me and maybe weren't. That's a little deeper than uh, than doing the flexed arm hang for 30 seconds. I've been good on the plastic. I think I used like four plastic bags all last year. So that was pretty good. I did a lot of reusable. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't make that one my prediction. I think I predicted that George wouldn't be a better man. <laughs> <laughs> no, to be honest, I, again, I'm coming back to that thing where our learning will be proportional to the suffering that we did through this. I'm excited that the vaccine's coming. I'm excited that people are hopeful. I worry that we're going to rush back to what people call normal, which is more consumerism, more bullshit, more filling our lives with things that give us a false sense of driving while we're drifting, I think. My prediction is I hope we've learned something. I hope that we uh, connect more and we slow things down and, you know, we just are better people in general. So I don't know. I don't know. That's not really a prediction. Not that I want people to suffer, but the pandemic is shedding a glaring light on the shit that we've tolerated or just put up with. If it goes away too quick, we'll just get back to that. I'm hoping for learning in 2021. That uh, the blurred vision of 2020 gives us better sight in 2021. Georgie? I just think you're jealous that I had such an awesome New Year's resolution last year. Because <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say it first. I was like, oh, now what am I going to say? I'll just say chin-ups. Flex Darmang. <laughs> I think probably towards the latter half of 2021, we might have a roaring 20s effect after this pandemic. I think people are going to go crazy. I think they're going to spend like crazy. I think the airline industry and the cruise industry, which I hate, will have this massive rebound. I think people will get falsely reassured with this vaccine because of the monumental effort that humankind has come together and made this vaccine. It's just, it is an incredible story. And I think people will completely forget. So I think Steve is right. I think they will completely forget because it, it hasn't, it hasn't been like a world war. It hasn't been like four years. It hasn't been death and despair to a magnitude that will actually change people's opinion. And I think people will go berserk. I might start doing coke off hookers asses in the summertime to tell you the truth because I've learned nothing. I'm going to go back to I'm going to go back to 19. Going back to that? You might go back to it. This is my prediction. People economically will go crazy and it might come from places that we don't normally see. And I'll take a stat that I got from one of my bankers friends. 75% of Canada's wealth is in baby boomers. The people that grew, you know, after the World War, they have all the money. The millennials and Generation Z live paycheck to paycheck. They're going to survive this and they're going to go, hmm, maybe I shouldn't leave it to my kids. Maybe I should fucking spend it because I might not live in the next pandemic. And I think there's going to be a huge flood of money. People will go nuts. That's my prediction. Following up on your six-month party, are you guys seeing a little bit with COVID cash right now? Not in terms of going nuts like that. We're going to renovate our kitchen, which we've been talking about for a long time, but 
we have some COVID cash. We're not, you know, rolling around in it, but, and I'm seeing lots of that around is that's what in summer you couldn't buy lumber for a deck because every fucking person in this world was building a fence. Now it's around here anyways, it's ATVs and it's, it's all those things that you, you know, you'd like, but sometimes you wouldn't. So I don't know you guys seeing that or is that just a Thompson phenomenon? I'm seeing that for sure. I mean, there's people that I work with that are doing house renovations. Some people rented a cottage, bought a cottage. If you're spending money on traveling and eating out, you're not doing that (laughs) (laughs) this year. So you've got some COVID cash for sure. Producer Mike's killing me. All he's talking about is a new snowmobile. That's all we talk about. Well, he won't be talking about the podcast after he gets his ass fired. After Paige takes his job. Good luck with the snowmobile. Gets us that sponsorship. It gets us a bunch of headsets. Paige is going to come in hot. (laughs) (laughs) Running the risk of sounding preachy. Too late. Yep, too late. What you just said about COVID cash comes back to, you know, what I mention often, which is the largest challenge that we face as society is income inequality. And as a result of this pandemic, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. You know, those of us who didn't lose our jobs, but were forced to sit at home and not spend any money, have a bunch of excess disposable income for next year. And those of us who lost jobs, or not those of us, the four of us, but those people in society who lost jobs are gonna get crushed with economic hardship. And that divide is just gonna get worse and worse. I will say that in terms of New Year's resolutions, I crushed my 2020 New Year's resolution completely by <laughs> accident because <laughs> 2019 was the year that I gave up plastic and uh, berated you guys for a year until you, you all agreed to get on the no plastic train with me. Bruce, you remember this, 2020 was going to be the year in which I tackled my carbon footprint. I remember in January and February, I started. I was taking the, uh, the streetcar to work. I committed to taking the streetcar more than 50% of the time to and from my office. I was held to that. I was at least three days a week to my office on the streetcar until COVID hit. But the biggest thing is COVID's hit, so I haven't left the house and I haven't been on an airplane. So my carbon footprint in 2020 was probably like 10% of what it was in 2019. I got lucky with that one, but I'll take the W. In terms of a prediction looking forward, I love George's prediction. I think that there is going to be a massive uptick in celebratory behavior once we come out of this. Coming back to what I was saying about Australia, they feel like they've beaten COVID. There's like full, huge music festivals going on down there and raves and everyone's living like normal life. And that's going to hit North America when we get there. I have a double-sided prediction. By the end of 2021, for all intents and purposes, we're going to feel like life has gone back to normal. That's my overarching prediction. The small flip side of that is some aspects of the way life has changed in 2020 are not going to go away. And I'm going to say they're never going to go away. And one of those things I think is going to be wearing masks. Even when COVID is long gone in 2025, you're going to get on an airplane and 10% of the people on the airplane are going to be wearing masks. I say that because I remember traveling in Asia in the early 90s and seeing people wearing surgical masks on buses, walking down the street. And it's just in areas of the world that have been stricken with viral outbreaks historically, and they've learned, yeah, this is the best way to make sure you don't get sick is to walk around wearing a surgical mask all the time. They've done it and they do it now and it's helped them. And I think North Americans, we laugh at that. We see somebody on the subway wearing a surgical mask and we just think like, holy shit, what's wrong with that guy? I think that's never going away. I think some people are gonna wear masks forever and whatever. 
we'll all just get used to it and we won't care and it'll become normal. I heard a story similar that the, the culture there is different, but part of it too is a courtesy to the people around you. So if you're not feeling well, you'll wear a mask yep. to say, hey, look, I'm protecting you as much as I'm protecting yep. myself. And if that becomes normal and that's the story, it'll get accepted even more, right? And it, it makes sense if you're not feeling well and you still have Absolutely. to go out that you would do that. And now that we're used to seeing it, I don't know when I'll get the guts to do it. <laughs> I hope someday I do, but <laughs> but I, I think I agree with you. That's a, that's a cool prediction. I'm my best friend, too thick and thin. We've always been together. We're four of a kind, having fun all day. Piling around and laughing away. Just best friends, best friends are we. That's it. That's the end. You probably found us already on social media, but if not, at Snow Day Pod, tell your friends. We've also got an email, snowdaypod at gmail.com. Send us a voice memo. Maybe we'll put your voice on the show. Thanks to the rest of our team, Social Media Todd, Producer Mike, and the secret weapon, Shannon Bison. <laughs>